Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. Hi, we're Visible, the wireless company with nothing to hide. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for $25 a month, taxes and fees included. Sorry, hidden fees, we're just not into you. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who hopes Tim Cook runs for president against Donald Trump. That way we can finally compare apples and oranges. But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the chair is someone I like very much, Preet Bahara, the former U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. He was fired by President Trump in March of 2017 and since then has started a very popular podcast called Stay Tuned with Preet. According to his Wikipedia page, he's one of the people who inspired Paul Giamatti's character in Billions, which is my favorite show. <laughs> and obviously, you're, you, you've been a big commentator about everything. It's been good good times for Preet in terms of commentating. Not, not good times for the country. Not very good times for the um, country. You're also I would f- rather have a better country right. and less opportunity to speak. Absolutely, but you've done a lot of stuff. You're also an excellent tweeter, but, and as if that weren't enough, you're the author of a recent book called Doing Justice, A Prosecutor's Thoughts on Crime, Punishment, and the Rule of Law. Good to be here. That's a big title. Yes, it fit. It fit, though, on the cover. It did it? All right. (laughs) The book's big enough that it fit. Yes. What would you else have called it? Oh, shit, or something like that? (laughs) No cursing. No Uh, cursing. Knopf, my publisher, is old school. Knopf. Yeah. Is an old school publisher. Yeah. And they don't like expletives. All right. Okay. Uh, so let's get let's have a tiny bit of your history. You had a job before all this, before like a real job, like a, yeah. A, I had a I had a few real jobs. Yes. Job, job, type job. As right. They exactly. Say. Um, I graduated from law school. I worked at a firm. Then I became a federal prosecutor in the very now even more famous than it was before, mm-hmm. Southern District of New York, SDNY, which is known Why everywhere. Why did you now. do that? Why did you go to prosecutor? You obviously could have gone to to law firms. What was I the think impetus? I was at law firms for, because I thought at some point in law school that the best job you can have as a lawyer, not only to practice your craft and learn how to do it, uh, and also that would be a lot of fun and be interesting, but also be the best kind of public service to me was to be a prosecutor. Mm-hmm. And the best office that I had ever heard of uh, for government service as a lawyer was the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York mm-hmm. that has, you know, with story history, you know, dates back to the founding of the Republic, has done all sorts of important cases uh, in terrorism, uh, public corruption, uh, you, you name it, they cyber now. You, you name it, they do it. And I like the idea as a lawyer of being someone who whose only job it is, as I say in the book repeatedly. You know, the mantra was we didn't always, you know, we're perfect. We weren't always perfect. But the mission was to do the right thing in the right way for the right reasons and only that. And, you know, there's a reason why folks don't love lawyers. And mm-hmm. in part, you know, lawyers make the best argument. They're required to make the best argument on behalf of their client, even if it's BS uh, right. often, um, so long as it's a colorable argument. They make it zealously on the on behalf of their client. Whether you represent a company like Facebook, or you represent an individual who's guilty of a crime, and that's all good and well and and noble, because that's what's required. But you know, I prefer to be in a place where your client uh, is not a company or an individual, but is the public, mm-hmm. and you're accountable not to any particular individual, not also to any political official like the president of the United States. Your loyalty is not due and owing to anyone, you know, who's named, who's elected to office, but rather to the Constitution, to the public. So the ideal is in a place like that, you're never supposed to make an argument that you don't believe in. You're never supposed to pursue a case that you don't think is right and just. Mm-hmm. And so you decided to do this and and rose to the top, rose to the very top. I'm going to move your career along very quickly. But okay. You, you, but <laughs> there's many famous previous people in that job who have run that office. When you came to it, what was your—what what were you thinking at the time should have been your focus? You did a lot of financial crimes. You did all kinds of things. Well, so you, in, you inherit the institution. The only person right. who really changes is the, is the person at the top, right. the U.S. Attorney's Office. And that's relevant to people thinking, well, what's going to happen with the Michael Cohen investigation? Right. You know, nothing really changes. The, the political appointee at the top changes. So, you know, we were focusing on the things that were already in progress. Um, I think there were a couple of areas that we emphasized more mm-hmm. once I got there because, you know, the threat levels are different. One of those is cyber. You know, people weren't really talking a lot about cyber Not in 2009. Right. You would never hear a cabinet secretary talk about cyber. You would never hear a president talk about cyber. And beginning, you know, sort of in the middle of the 2000s, and certainly when I got there in 2009, I think we increased tenfold 
our resources and commitment to cyber. The FBI did the same thing. The FBI used to have a lot of squads focused on La Cosa Nostra, right. you know, classic Italian mafia, yeah. one for each As family. As did the Southern District of New York. Yeah. Right. You know, they're still there and they're still a problem. And, you know, they still, as I used to say at news conferences, they still use baseball bats and extort mm -hmm. people um, and terrorize other folks. But they're less of a threat than they were in the 80s and 90s. And what's a bigger threat is all the cyber, mm -hmm. all the hacking, um, including from, you know, ideological groups who want to hack for other reasons. Sure. And also nation states. Mm -hmm. You have the Sony hack, which I'm sure you've talked about, yep. which was a big deal. And you also have um, hacks by Chinese nationals in a great case that was brought by the Pittsburgh U.S. Attorney's Office. We did a case against five Iranian nationals mm -hmm. who tried to affect our infrastructure. Um, you have all sorts of folks who are doing DDoS attacks against uh, financial infrastructure. Were you equipped to do that, your office? How did you bring it up to speed so what you to do, do that? So I think lots of folks have been behind. You know, the folks who are the most behind, and, and I know you've talked about this, and you and mm -hmm. I talked about this on my podcast, lawmakers. Mm -hmm. You have to understand technology. Um, I think we started to get better at it, and the FBI and the Secret Service, who are the principal law enforcement agencies that deal with the cyber threat, mm -hmm. got much better. They started hiring younger people who are a little bit more schooled in technology and tried to stay a step ahead of the hackers. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't do that with sort of old school right. you know, lawyers and FBI agents who didn't understand tech. It, mm -hmm. I think it's taken some time, but I think now you have a lot of great experts um, who have been hired away from private industry and who have come up through the ranks and actually lived life as private citizens knowing a lot more about how computers work. You don't see that when people testify uh, in, in Congress, in right. the House or in the Senate. Right. You have various people, including, I don't mean to, to veer into a criticism of our lawmakers, <laughs> but, but please you know, do. why not? Yeah. Um, you know, Lindsey Graham, in some ways, oh, God. is both a Luddite and ahead of his time. Right? Mm -hmm. well, did anyone say, like, I've never sent an email? Yeah, Which did. makes him seem I like, like how, how, how on earth can you then be responsible for legislating these things, especially as the chairman of the Judiciary Committee? On the other hand, he's kind of ahead of his time because he doesn't have sort of scandalous email hacks he has right. to worry about. <laughs> well, maybe other scandalous things, but who knows? Who's to say? What's interesting when you focus on that, it's harder to get the public interested in that too because you've got, you know, you did cases that got most attention were those mafia cases or yeah, financial, fraud cases. financial fraud cases. Well, the interesting thing about cyber that everyone should be worried about, both because, you know, they hack things that affect our election, which mm -hmm. everyone is focused on and thinking mm -hmm. about. And then you have groups like Anonymous, you know, the hacktivists. Uh, but people's personal data is being stolen. Mm -hmm. What's weird about that is, you know, we wouldn't go a month or two without hearing about a huge data breach, whether it's a shoe store or right. a, a Reno retail market or whatever the case may be. And you would hear millions of people's data was now lost or swiped. Or swiped. And a lot of people had to deal with the, the, the damage of identity theft mm -hmm. and reestablishing their credit and all sorts of things. But it still didn't cause, you know, that much of a panic attack on the part of the public because— they wouldn't necessarily all see a direct effect on their on their credit score or a direct mm -hmm. effect on their on their bank account, which I think is dangerous. I mean, you know, lots of people have said this is not my phrase that the cyber threat is like you know a, t a ticking time bomb, mm -hmm. uh, and that you know we are not there yet, but we could see you know a version of a cyber Pearl Harbor, where then all of a sudden people will wake up and right. say we got to do something about right. This. Even the Mueller report, which sort of lays out the Russians' efforts at doing it using social media and other means. Um, and I think people are still sort of okay. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Well, people don't do simple things. Right. Like, you know, have good passwords. Right, you know, exactly. It, it's, it's still— yeah, That's another issue, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so some stuff is very complicated. You talk about tech and you and you break it down in a, in a very, you know, good way that people can understand. But like anything else, sometimes the best improvements are simple things. I used to analogize to medicine. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing, the technology we have, and you can get endoscopies, and people can put cameras inside your body. Mm -hmm. But, you know, one of the greatest advancements in all of medicine was when doctors realized they should wash their hands. Right, true, fair they, point. Right? Yeah. And it is also true that there's all sorts of, you know, technology that you can, you know, we're surrounded by all these Wall Street firms and financial institutions who spend millions and billions of dollars a year with on firewalls to protect themselves. But you know what? All it takes is one stupid employee right. who has a bad password. John Podesta. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. Who just, who just, who just goes for the – who just, who just responds to the phishing request. Right. That's a weakling. There was a famous case where law enforcement was literally, uh, you know, in multiple countries, was trying to uh, deal with a cyber threat issue. And they had a secure conference call. And it turns out one of the bad guys, one of the hacker types, eavesdropped on the conference call. Oh, wow. You think, well, how could they do that? These are the most elite anti-cyber folks in the world. Mm -hmm. You know what it was? One agent in one country – forwarded the call-in number to his personal email for convenience, uh -huh. and it was that email that was hacked. Not not the secure email in the agency, mm -hmm. but 
you know, people can let the bad guys in very easily. Right, absolutely. So you were you, you were doing your job. You were doing all kinds of big cases. Um, you did Stephen Cohen, right? You did well. We, SAC Capital. Yes, SAC Capital. Um, I'm sorry, I just remember by the people. <laughs> um, but you were doing your job, and then President Trump gets elected, and you initially I had thought, nothing to do with that. Nothing by the to way. do with that. I know you didn't. Um, but you were initially thought you were staying, and then you were not staying. Yeah, it was kind of a uh, back and forth. Uh, roller coaster. Mm-hmm. So when a new president comes in, especially one of the other parties, everybody you assume, gets appointed. Yeah, you leave you know, in an orderly way. That's what happened. You know, when Obama became the president, when Clinton, when Bush. So I started making plans to take a fancy vacation. Mm-hmm. Finally, go to the private sector. I guess after 17 years in public service, and then Trump. Long story. Contacted Senator Schumer, for whom I worked for a period of time. Said, you know, I think Preet's great. Asked me to meet with him for the purpose of asking me to stay on, mm-hmm. which was highly unusual on November 30th of 2016. And shook my hand in a meeting on that in that famous office on the 26th mm-hmm. floor of Trump Tower. And so I agreed to stay because I understood the job to be an independent one. And you don't mm-hmm. give your loyalty to any particular person, even though I had not voted for Donald Trump um, and was not a supporter of Donald Trump. Uh, and then he called me a couple of times, which is very strange. And I've recited this on, on a number of other occasions. Mm-hmm. Why is he calling the local United States attorney who has jurisdiction over businesses, the foundation, all and sorts of other things yeah. when there are calls to investigate various things. And then he called me once on March 9th of 2017, consulted with my deputy. I love deputy. how you lawyers keep notes. Well, what is with these lawyers that keep notes? Anyway, sorry. Real lawyers do keep yes. notes. <laughs> I, right. I heard that I'm from taking notes. I'm taking notes right now. <laughs> I know. Well, I actually, I'm it. not because I understand there's recording equipment. Yes, yeah, <laughs> this yeah, is being yeah. documented for the future. So he called and I, I couldn't come up with a reason why it would be a good idea to call him back. It seems mm-hmm. odd. You know, boss calls you. You think you call him back. But there were all sorts of issues swirling around with him. I thought it would look strange if it came out later that we'd had the side conversation. There was still, you know, swirling controversy that he stoked, Tr- Trump stoked, about this meeting on the tarmac mm-hmm. with Loretta Lynch when she was the attorney general with the former president who had appointed her. And he claimed, well, that wasn't a courtesy meeting. They must have been talking about cases and enforcement matters. So no good can come of a courtesy you know, meeting. This call, so I didn't return the call until I, you know, made clear that if I know what it's about and if it's with the attorney general, the attorney general wasn't involved in the call, maybe we could have the conversation. And 22 hours later, I was asked to resign. Mm-hmm. So you pissed him off. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, look, I'm a studious lawyer, yeah. so I don't, I don't necessarily conclude that one thing leads to another because 45 other people were also asked to leave who mm-hmm. were appointed by Obama a little bit prematurely, although it happens in the ordinary course over mm-hmm. time. But it's hard to believe that those things are not connected. All right. So here you are finding yourself fired, famously fired. Famously. Famously famously fired. Not just fired, fired. but famously fired by by the president. Yeah, and pretty good company over time. Yeah, yeah, lots of people. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. And you, so what did you decide to do? You decided, you you moved really quickly into a sort of a digital realm. So, you know, I, I had opportunities. Everyone who's had my job before, even though those who decide to run for office eventually, including mm-hmm. Rudy Giuliani and— right. um, Bob Morgenthau, who ran for governor after he had my job, they've all gone to private practice. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of money in private practice. I, right. I was not so interested. I also, I think, had, you know, the, the opportunity to have some platform from which I could talk about things. I thought I'd write this book, Doing Justice. And while I'm writing the book and mm-hmm. while I'm thinking about what I want to do and in, in, in a way that I don't have to keep my mouth shut, uh, that law firms, you know, prefer yeah, <laughs> often their right. people to yeah. keep hush, their mouths shut. Hush, yeah, you don't want, you know, like— it's a very difficult thing to be a partner in a law firm, and if the mood strikes you to criticize the attorney general or the justice mm-hmm. department, that's not good. That's no. not good practice. No, not good. Business. Lawyers sometimes did that when Hence I was. That's why with this I do not work for big newspapers. <laughs> it's a little bit of a problem, yeah. and you know, I like talking about yeah. things that I care about, and I like talking in a, yeah. in a fairly candid way. My brother has this media company. Yep. We talked. You know, it seemed at the time an interesting thing to do a podcast. I now believe that there's a law that you know most of the Everybody public doesn't. Has to you must have a podcast. <laughs> Everyone must have a podcast. Maybe even maybe even two podcasts. I have two. I got in before you don't have the. Two? Oh. I do. I have. Oh, you do. I have, right. you, wait, I have you have Cafe Insider. Oh, I didn't. Which is a, a subscription podcast right, okay. that everyone should subscribe. Oh, you're to. on the. What do you want? Just we're on our own. On your own. Okay. Cafe.com. What's the difference between Stay Tuned with Preet and so Cafe Stay Tuned Insider? with Preet is um, is an interview at the top of the show. Yeah. I answer uh, listeners' questions about the Mueller investigation and right. the law and sort of other things. Then I do an uh, interview and then I sort of close it out with something interesting that that has touched me. On the Cafe Insider, every Monday. Uh, it's just two two people, me and Ann Milgram, who's a former attorney general mm-hmm. from New Jersey. And we just talk right, about like all the Scott crazy stuff. Right, going on about tech yes, and media. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's literally that. Yeah. And we have a good time and we have a sense of humor. So law it up. It's, it's a law, law with yeah, drinking. And, and it also seemed, it's not enough to do something one time a week. So I, I tape for the Thursday podcast, stay tuned. 
and lit, and we tape often on mm-hmm. on Tuesday. Sometimes I tape, uh, you know, the top of the show on Wednesday mm-hmm. at 11 a.m. By Wednesday at 6 p.m., right, there's a whole bunch of news. Right. And by the time Thursday comes out, all sorts of things happen. So this is an opportunity to have a big chunk of time on Thursday, a big chunk, a chunk of time on Monday. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I mean, maybe we got to go 24-7. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think, Karen? Yeah, I do. I think yeah. I, people are always urging us to make the longer. I'm like, when do you have the time to let—you know, we keep them short because we want yeah. it to have chunks of news. But you're right. We've done a lot of hot takes that have done better than the actual shows because there's so much news. Yeah. So, so you moved into podcasting. You are also uh, the author. I want to get to your book in a second. And you've also moved very heavily in commentary, on Twitter especially. You're quite the Twitter well, so star. Well, so what's very funny about that you mentioned, so last night yeah. I sent a bunch of tweets— where I was kind of down on the Twitter. Right. I, I think I said like 11 o'clock last night. And I've been a little bit less on Twitter in the last few days. Mm-hmm. Although, yes. I'm, it goes I'm, up and down. I'm pretty, yeah, you know, and we talked about this a little yeah. bit. I don't know how you feel about it. You have a great Twitter feed. So, you know, I'm a little tired of Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. I and, know what and you part mean. Of the, and, Except but, I, had, I did a podcast with Sam Harris and that everyone either hates him <laughs> or loves him. And so I was like. <laughs> I was on his show. And all yeah. it was was Kara sucks on all sides. So, <laughs> well, so, so, there's some, so that's one reason, right? Kara does suck. The, for all of you, Kara does suck. I, I admit think, it. I think. Am I going to get in trouble me. for saying you're, no. you're wonderful and terrific? No, and, go ahead. And an American treasure. Thank you. Thank um, you so much. I, I, did I read that? Okay. Yeah, don't say script. that now because <laughs> Sam Harris, people who hate him and love him, will attack you then. Don't worry. You got to talk to interesting people. They all had good points. So there's one category of reason not to like Twitter, and that's like toxicity and people say terrible things. And if they don't like your beard, then they make you feel bad about yourself. Right. But then the other reason, more substantive, I think, and what I was thinking about last night is, you know, something happens in the world. You know, someone makes a statement or there's a video that gets released. And once you become like sort of part of the Twitterati, right, right, which of yeah. which you were a member. Right. And in your area, like, you know, law or politics or whatever the case may be, there's, you kind of feel like an urge to say something about it and right. say something clever and witty about it. And right. I do that. I have, right. I have a million followers, right? Yeah, you're Apparently I've good. done okay at it. But then, you know, but then— but You're then, not George Conway level. But then, <laughs> <laughs> hey. He's pretty um, good. He's got a he's got. You know, a, I have a, a weird man platform. crush on someone I agree with on almost nothing. But go ahead. <laughs> um, I'm not sure someone else still has a crush on him. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, not our business. But you can kind of get it wrong. Yeah. And every once in a while, there's a criticism or a discussion of something that's sort of complicated, whether it's about Bill Barr or it's about the Mueller report mm-hmm. or it's about some case that I handled. Right. And you kind of can't do it in 280 characters. No, you can't. And, and you know, I'm lucky enough, like you are, I get to talk about it on my podcast. Mm-hmm. And I, I get an hour. I can say whatever the hell I want. I go, I'm a senior legal analyst on CNN. And then I have this this long book, mm-hmm. you know, that barely mentions Trump. And there's no hot takes at all. It's all mm-hmm. hot takes. Hot takes. Yeah. I said, I don't, lo- I don't love all the hot takes. Mm-hmm. And it's like a competition mm-hmm. to have the best hot take. And I know it sounds like somebody who's complaining about, you know, a sport no, that they're fairly decent at. But every once in a while, you think, you know what? I just want to take a little step back. Or that you're not contributing to anything but the speed, right? Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I actually find something that I do a little more of now is I follow a lot Don't of people. Don't tell me Instagram pictures of your dinner. No, no, no. What? I can't what? take it. I'm teasing. Can, can you, my parents <laughs> are going to listen to this show, and now they're going to follow my Instagram <laughs> and, and monitor my stuff. Uh, thanks. I don't thanks. use Instagram. Thanks, Kara Swisher. Wasted sure. my right. time. Is that since I started posting those, yeah. those things? Yeah. Uh, that's a joke. No, other people will find interesting articles mm-hmm. or, I mean, not just cat and dog videos, but right. but interesting things. And I just, you know what? I will just retweet them. Right. Or just say, you know, take a look at this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone someone yesterday posted a video of Obama mm-hmm. reacting emotionally after a school shooting. I'd forgotten about that. I hadn't seen it in a long time. I think Joe Lockhart tweeted that. And I just retweeted, like, take a look at this. So in some ways, you, you can be kind of a, um, a curator Right. Of stuff. And I don't always feel the need. Like, I now have to retweet someone else's interesting and be more interesting on top of it to justify, you know, why you're following my Twitter feed. Right. I think so it does get tired. I think you go up and down. Which yeah. I think you go up and down. It's sort of, it's a weird Well, something addiction. crazy happened. So there, right. there have been days mm-hmm. when, you know, when, when Bill Barr was testifying, I think I tweeted a lot. Yeah. There, there were times <laughs> a year ago, the one, the one time my father sort of called me out. Like, Devin Nunes did whatever crazy Thank shit. Devin Nunes Devin Nunes. Could curse be any on your day show. I don't curse on my show. But yeah, that's okay. Go whatever right crazy ahead. shit he was doing like a year ago, and I, I like sort of lost my mind. I think I sent 20 tweets, uh-huh. each angrier than the... I was just so yeah. angry at, at what he was doing to that committee. My right. dad was like, you need to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> so when your dad tells you... Um, when you're 50 and your dad tells you, you need yeah. to calm down, then... Yeah. Yeah. Then you lay off. But your key, dad was monitoring the keys for like a time. day. Oh yeah. Yeah, but it, it does. It creates a situation where you feel like you have to come. Like today, uh, 
Chris Hughes, one of the founders yeah. of, I think I put off three tweets right away. But I know him. I know them. I know what's going on. Do you take a deep breath before you, you tweet in the uh, I'm very calculated. I'm a professional tweeter, Preet. I, I think you are, too. Low resting pulse. I've done one stupid one, but uh, mostly, yeah. Mostly I think very carefully about what I'm going to say. And, and I know when I can create outrage. You know right. what I mean? I'm aware of certain things that will create. Do you know how to spell Kentucky? Uh, better than most people. <laughs> um, so uh, it's a difficult word. It has an N and a, a T in it. Well, it's the C sound. Why do you need a C and a K? You think you could just have one of them. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, that's see, you could have tweeted that. Um, so you use that in a certain way, but you don't find it to be sort of the, the substances of it, that you, you're worried about. Yeah, look, I would be, I'd be— Because everything now I'd in politics unhappy. are tweet, I mean, including the yeah. president. So I'd be unhappy if the only if the only place I could speak was Twitter. Mm-hmm. But it is where everybody speaks, including lawyers. Yeah, well, because you get to you get to learn a little bit, mm-hmm. and look, and you get a consensus that develops. Like the podcast has been very successful, the book has done very well. And I think in part, I don't think that would have been true necessarily mm-hmm. ten years ago. I think people are really, really in the same way that they're more interested in tech than they've ever been before, and why why you're so popular and, and successful separate from your genius mm-hmm. oh, uh, and American treasure status. You're about to convict me the minute you get back in office. <laughs> I'm going to be just, like I'm just, I'm just buttering you up. I will show up for a subpoena, by the way, but I'm go ahead. Sh- I'm sure you will. You yeah. won't be held in contempt. Yeah. But there's this newfound interest in the law mm-hmm. on the part of thoughtful people in the country who just want to understand, among other things, how the hell is it supposed to work? And then second, related to that, how far have we fallen from how it's supposed to work? Right. So everyone is viewing... The, the legal system through this weird distorted lens of Bob Mueller and Paul Manafort and Michael Cohen. You know, everyone's getting this sort and of master class. Yeah, and yeah. Bill Barr. This master class in, in flipping. Mm-hmm. And there's this time for a few months, like, what does it mean to flip? How do you flip a witness? What if he's a liar? Mm-hmm. What if he's a bad guy? And, you know, prosecutors around the country sort of smile, like, you know, this is how we've done this. Right. Forever. And now we're learning about contempt. Now we're learning about contempt. So, you know, Twitter is a place where some folks are getting a large following, including George Conway and others. For on occasion being snide, like I am, you know, from mm-hmm. time to time, because you just sort of pop off on Twitter and it's a clever format. Mm-hmm. But also, in a serious way, you know, I, I turn on the television. I, there's a joke going around sort of Southern District alumni circle, circles. No, jo- you all joke with each other? Well, I see, like, every time I turn on the t- TV, there's somebody who used to work group. for me. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And there's, there's, I think, a hunger generally, but in the law in particular, not just for people who are smart and can mm-hmm. talk about this stuff, but people who have actually done it. Right. So they're, right. they're really smart journalists right. who, who didn't practice no, I know what you criminal mean. law. Yeah. But they, they want to hear from, you know, from the people who actually tried cases. And so there's, I've never seen more federal prosecutors like on TV. Judy. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that. All right. So we're going to talk about yeah. that when we get back with Preet Bharara. We're going to talk about his book, Doing Justice, A Prosecutor's Thoughts on Crime Punishment and the Rule of Law when we get back. And then after that, we're going to talk about where law is going and how tech affects and infects it. We're here with Preet Bahara, the host of Stay Tuned with Preet. Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit Mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. Businesses of all sizes count on IT heroes to save the day every day. And because there's no telling what the day will bring, you need a built-for-business PC solution that gives you security, performance, manageability, and stability no matter what stage you're in. Intel vPro is here to help. Intel vPro provides business class performance and reliability on powerful PCs that boost user productivity and satisfaction. And it offers multi-layer hardware-based security for below the OS protection, better application and data security, and advanced threat detection to help prevent issues before they happen. Whether the team is in office or working from home, security is the name of the game. The Intel vPro lets you remotely update, restore, and secure your business's PCs, even if they're outside the firewall. Plus, the integrated and validated platform helps ensure smooth PC fleet management and means you can maintain and scale PCs with confidence, helping you save the day, every day. Intel vPro, built for what IT heroes do, built for business. No product can be absolutely secure. Learn more at intel.com slash IT heroes. 
We're back with Preet Bahara. He's a well-known lawyer. Uh, he's also a podcaster. He's a tweeter. But he's also an author of a new book called Doing Justice, A Prosecutor's Thoughts on Crime, Punishment, and the Rule of Law. Talk a little bit about what you were trying to get through in this book. Yeah, so I had this thought about writing a book when I was in office. And then when I got fired, I had a little bit more time. Yeah. And as I was starting to think about the stories and talking to people about what I might write about, I realized that the stories that I had in mind to tell and the case that I'd overseen, they were not just relevant to lawyers mm -hmm. and certainly not just relevant to criminal lawyers. They're about fundamental things, like what truth is, like what fairness is, uh, how, to avoid, how to avoid bias, how to make decisions, how to you know, engage in moral reasoning. And so I thought I would write this sort of general book uh, with no legal jargon where I would sort of discuss difficult you know, um, quandaries that people find themselves in, whether you work in a school or you work in tech or you work in media. Uh, or you're, you know, a, a stay-at-home mm -hmm. parent dealing with how you raise your kids to figure out just what the right thing to do is. I mean, that's sort of the mantra, as I said, sure. in my old office. So I decided to go f sort of from beginning to end. The arc of, of any case, you begin with an investigation inquiry. Then you have to figure out whether or not you accuse someone. Then you got to figure out how to make the judgment. You know, mm -hmm. is it true? Is it not? Is someone guilty? Are they not? Should they be disciplined? Should they not? And then on to punishment. And those are things that everyone has to deal with. I have a, a, a chapter on judges, which is not just for people who ever appear in front of judges. But I say, if, you, if you've ever engaged in competition, if you ever played a sport, mm -hmm. you have been judged. Right. The referees and umps, or you have judged others. And so I think there's a lot there for people to sort of figure out. I don't talk about Trump a lot mm -hmm. directly. Right. But like everything else in the world, Trump's shadow looms over all things. You know, mm -hmm. somebody uh, at The Guardian, I think, uh, when they reviewed the book, said, called it, even though I don't refer to Trump directly a lot, a sort of metaphorical survivor's guide to the Trump era. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's a little bit that. Because mm -hmm. it goes back to basic things, as I said. And and I think, you know, well, people— Well, talk about some of those basic things. From what When you're seeing thoughts on crime punishment, what do you think has changed besides some lawlessness so, by the top officials? So, so a central theme of the book— um, unlike, I think, what some other lawyers have written about and, you know, smart people and academics and others have written about, they're always talking about what law we, how do we change the law mm -hmm. and what new law should we pass and what new tools should we give, you know, criminal law enforcement or what new rights should we decide people have. And that's all well and good. You know, there's a lot of reform that needs to happen and there are a lot of things that need to change. The death penalty is a problematic thing. Cash bail is a problematic thing. But you know what gets missing, I think, in that discussion is how important it is that not only to, to believe, you know, the bedrock principle that we're a nation of laws, not men, but also appreciate that it's people who enforce the law. Right. It's people who interpret the law, like anything else. Um, you can have a great curriculum in school, but if the teachers aren't good sure. and, and have the, the fates of the students close to their heart and are not acting in good faith, you're going to have a terrible school. And the same is true for a legal system. It is, a, it is of essential importance that the people who are responsible, the Justice Department, DA's offices, defense lawyers, judges, everyone in the process, in any institution, has to understand that their job is to do the right thing. And so a lot of this is about that. You know, when people complain about the rule of law and they complain about what's happening to the country and the reason they're all, you know, flocking mm -hmm. to television and watching these former prosecutors and listening to podcasts, nothing has changed. Mm -hmm. As far as I can recall, the Constitution is the same. Right. Virtually all the laws are the same. The regulations are the same. The OLC memos are the same. What has changed? which changes some of the people who are in charge of those things. Right. And when you get a degradation in the quality of the people who don't have as much respect for those principles and or those norms. Or just ignoring them. Or just ignoring them, you know, miscarriages of justice happen. So that that's what I think has changed. Um, and I think the way to get, you know, back to, to first principles is to make sure you understand what they are. Mm -hmm. So talk about them. So, you know, these days, I think there's a lot of people unsettled because you have things like and phrases like alternative facts, mm -hmm. Truth isn't truth, which, right. you know, the lawyer, not just any lawyer, but the lawyer of the president of the United States mm -hmm. has said truth isn't truth. And expects, Did you hear yesterday's Chris Christie? Uh, opinions are not so. lies. Opinions. opinions are not lies. And then I was like, well, are lies opinions or is lie just a lie? Like, I can't figure that one out. Like, it was it was an astonishing thing. Yeah, so— I literally nearly rushed the stage. I was like, stop. You <laughs> need to I would have enjoyed that. Then you could have tweeted well, about it. Well, I thought it. about it. And I thought, what would be the cost to me to rush the stage and just give him a slap? <laughs> like like a little t light tap on the—saying, stop it. I'm not going to condone— is, I know I, that, Is that I, violence? No, 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 tap. Just like maybe maybe a finger in the face. Like, you need to stop, sir. But it'd be fine because you say, look, 
violence is not violence. Right. <laughs> violence, can, is not <laughs> violence is not violence. Violence is an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> it's an opinion. I think there are two no, things. Nobody there, should hit each other. I think there are two I'm things. I'm talking about a firm like, <laughs> pointing of the finger. May the record reflect that you're pointing yeah. the finger at me. Yeah. I didn't yes, do anything exactly. wrong. I don't no, think. no. All right. So go ahead. Sorry. Go so, ahead. So I, think, so I think there are two big problems in the country. Yeah. And this is not. This didn't start with Trump. I think it's been happening for a long time. Mm-hmm. I agree with people who say Trump is a is a symptom, not a I cause. I go back to Gingrich, but go ahead. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's not a bad place to go back to. There was to. a lot of, like, let's change things just by not doing them. Kind yeah, of well, so two things. You know, there, reasonable people can differ on a lot of things. There should be debate. You know, mm-hmm. you get back, you have a back and forth with people all the time. I mm-hmm. do also. Um, but the one way that people don't do it right is they they decide to absent themselves from discussion and debate. I mean, mm-hmm. this is the thing that I know you talk about a lot. You can be on social media. We have so many channels now. You can just, just listen to people who are going to reinforce your point of view, never challenge your point of view. If someone disagrees with you, they're a libtard and mm-hmm. vice versa, and you don't listen to them, and you never refine your arguments, and you live in your little bubble. And then the second thing happens when people do come out of their bubble and they seek to have some engagement with people who disagree with them, they lie about them, they yell at them, they, they engage in character assassination, they talk about their appearance and all sorts mm-hmm. of other things that have nothing to do with the merits of the yeah. argument. And so when I, when I say go back to first principles, you know, people don't like lawyers for a lot of good reasons. Mm-hmm. But one thing I think we can celebrate, and I talk about in the book, for society generally, is a lawyer in court, particularly a criminal lawyer in court, on either side, imagine if you just sort of put your hands over your ears and you said, I'm going to make my arguments, and I know I'm right, the guy's innocent or the guy's guilty, and when the other guy talks, I'm not going to listen. And I'm going to sort of sing to myself with my hands over mm-hmm. my ears and not engage in the argument. You're actually obligated by, by professional ethics and also to do to your listen. job to listen. And then when you do engage and you get up before the jury and make your counter argument, you can't, you can't call them names. Mm-hmm. You can't talk about their weight. Mm-hmm. And you can't get in, in court in, a, in, a, in an ordinary case and say, well, all Mexicans are rapists. So you need to convict, convict this guy because he's a, he's a rapist. And this is mm-hmm. the kind of rhetoric that the president uses. So, so there's a model there. I'm not saying everyone should talk like a lawyer because you shouldn't. Right. But there's a model there for how... Decorum. Decorum and also relevance. Mm-hmm. You know, you see these people, you see them argue past each other. You know, these, these I call them clowns. Mm-hmm. You have these clowns, mm-hmm. many of whom are associated with the president, and they include people like Michael Cohen, who I know he's pleaded guilty, but he's a thuggish clown mm-hmm. in his past life. Paul Manafort, another one. Roger Stone, another one. I'll even add Alex Jones to that, mm-hmm. to that list. Mm-hmm. And they get away with, in public debate, I'm sure not on a podcast, but mm-hmm. in, in generally on cable, cable television and other places, lying, cheating about the facts, you know, engaging in conspiracy theories, totally not evidence-based, uh, and, they can, and they can talk around an anchor for like seven mm-hmm. minutes. You see those guys end up in a court of law mm-hmm. or in a deposition. Yeah, end up in jail. Yeah, they changed their tune. Roger Stone had to, had to plead and beg and apologize to a federal district court judge who for could take his freedom? His antics. Yeah. yeah, for pulling all his antics. Yeah, you had Michael Cohen, you know, hang dog face testifying in front of Congress now because, mm-hmm. like, now, now this stuff is real, mm-hmm. right? Paul Manafort, same thing. So, you can't impose the court of law on <laughs> the entire country, mm-hmm. but there's something to be said for figuring out ways to disagree with people in a way that that sheds more light. Than heat. Well, you know, that, that's because there's no immunity from it. You know, we're going to yeah. talk about that where tech companies are going and what they yeah. should have. But one of the one of the arguments going on right now around tech companies is the they have so much immunity because of laws that were in place, and therefore they behave as if they had immunity. And when you when there's no consequence for what you do, you do things like you can't not good people, but good people yeah. can do bad. Th- you know, they can. Yeah. Well, it, look. It's like a lot of things. You know, it, there's a parallel between what's going on in the tech industry a little bit and what's going on in the White House. And people are mm-hmm. learning that a lot of stuff that happens mm-hmm. is based on the honor code. Right. Right. You don't do yes, certain things. Yes, the honor code. Yeah. That's you don't exactly. do certain things because you just don't, you don't do them. And norms get established and traditions get established. And sometimes they need to be upended. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, when people talk about the president, they say that's unprecedented. Uh, or as he said, unprecedented. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that that's a pejorative. You know, <laughs> yeah. you, you know but Barack Obama was an unprecedented presidency. That's good. That's good. Yeah. The question is whether or not you're overturning some right. norm that you shouldn't be overturning. And so there, there are these norms that people are blowing through, and it causes people to think, well, maybe we should have some laws right. to dictate what kind of behavior is okay or, or not. Or, the, or these norms, nobody knew you could break through them, yeah. and now you can. Well, some people didn't know that, there was, that they were happening because of norms or happening because of laws. Right. So this idea that the President of the United States, people are now discovering, 
um, you know, he himself can say, yeah, I, I know that you have a lot of problems, but you can get a security clearance because I can overrule everyone else because I'm the president. Right. I, as the president, even though in ordinary yeah. life, if I was a rookie federal prosecutor, I would never, Donald Trump would never get a security clearance for mm-hmm. any purpose. Mm-hmm. The only way he could get a security clearance was to get elected president of the United States of America, maybe a senator, I think, mm-hmm. you know, the same thing applies to them. Um, he didn't have to divest. There's all sorts, you know, we, we passed a law after Bobby Kennedy, who I think was a great attorney general, but, you know, it was not cool for, mm-hmm. for a president to have his brother as the attorney general. We passed anti-nepotism laws, which were written in a way that had a loophole through which Donald Trump can now have his daughter and his son-in-law mm-hmm. working in the White House. Maybe we'll have to re-examine that, too, because nobody thought between Bobby that Kennedy— someone would do that. And that someone would do that. Right. And I, and I guess, and you know this better than I do, there's all sorts of stuff on the tech side, too, that people are just sort of engaging in content because there's not a specific law right. that says you can't do it. Right. So when this happens, when people blow through norms that have laws behind them, some of which do, some of which don't, one of the things, for example, with this week, with not not uh, meeting demands from Congress and being held in contempt of Congress, I think the calculation, just like it would be if I'm not paying my bill, say if you're yeah. Donald Trump, is uh, court will mess it up for a while. Let's yeah. put it in court for a while. And there's let's a clock just, issue. There's a, you know what I mean? Let's yeah. just keep it going for, and we'll just, we'll just run out the clock essentially. I think absolutely. And this is not directly to your point, but I think an important one that's parallel to this, all these things take time. Mm-hmm. And so one of the, the, the biggest criticism that Mueller has gotten, and I don't really still understand it, mm-hmm. uh, was he didn't make a decision on obstruction, volume two of the Mueller report, right? Mm-hmm. But the other thing of a lesser nature, but relates to this, that he's been criticized for, is not compelling the president to come speak to him, mm-hmm. not issuing a subpoena and fighting it out to get actual live testimony with the possibility of follow-up questions to understand what was in the mind of the president when he Which was engaged was in those Which obstruction. Yes. And I predicted at the time correctly, I had a lot of other predictions that were wrong, but Bob Mueller explains in the report that one of the reasons they didn't seek to compel the testimony was time. Mm-hmm. And Bob Mueller must have thought, and this bears on this other thing that we're talking about, but on the other side, Bob Mueller must have thought you know, people are not going to tolerate an investigation that goes on forever. They're certainly not going to tolerate an investigation and no report, you know, going until the eve of the election or even after the 2020 election. If I go down this road of fighting about the subpoena, I can't abandon that fight midstream. And so nothing else can happen until that is resolved. And that could take a year. It could take a year and a half. You know, people are now putting out uh, explainers about the contempt process. Mm -hmm. And there are various investigations that they're talking about from the past, including Fast and Furious, which, you know, you know, wrapped up Eric Holder and some other mm-hmm. people. You know, some of those things didn't get resolved for four years until the next administration was in office. Right. And so now on the other side of the coin, going to your question, yeah, the Trump people are like, we just have to get to 2020. Right. And maybe it's a good campaign issue, even if it comes to a head in the summer of 2020. But, you know, depending on how the courts operate and depending on how many roadblocks they throw up, yeah, it could take a long, long time. And so I understand you know, everyone up in arms about the constitutional crisis. And I get, I've sort of been through this. I worked in mm-hmm. the Senate and I worked at law firms and I mm-hmm. worked as a prosecutor. And, and whether you like the invocations of privilege or not, I right. think some of them are totally bogus and ridiculous. Right. But it's they can tool. go to court. Right, yeah, it's his tool. They're not any more ridiculous, and people won't like me saying this, than, and I know I, I shouldn't compare this kind of thing to the mundane, everyday, total horseshit, civil litigations take, take, take place mm-hmm. in, in courtrooms and courthouses mm-hmm. throughout the country every day. They have arguments to make. Some of them are strong. Some of them are weak. Um, same is true for the other side. I think that the House Democrats have the much, much stronger argument on all of these things. Mm-hmm. But the president's arguments, there is such a thing as executive privilege. Mm-hmm. And you can drag it out for right. as long delay, as you delay, want. Delay, delay, delay. Delay, delay, delay. It's sort of like the tax returns. Right, right. You know, that's a totally different thing. The statute, as I see it, uh, and I agree with the people who say it's very clear, mm-hmm. That, you know, a particular House chairman right. has the ability has the ability to get the tax return. But you know what? You make some arguments and maybe someone will entertain them. And if you lose, this is the way the system works. You know, the system is intended to be slow to some extent. Right. Right. And people think, you know, everything should be fact. Talk about this in, in, the, in the book. You know, when something bad happens, people want the investigation. They want it to happen immediately. Yeah, that's good if it can happen. But there's a downside to speed also. Miscarriages of justice happen right. when you go too fast. Sure. And, you know, we give people rights of appeal well, for a reason. Well, you someone's going to take advantage of that. Like, you, you didn't imagine the yeah, president I, would take advantage of that. Well, although he's maybe the most litigious person ever to walk into that. Right. Into that oh, and likes it. <laughs> and likes it and enjoys those yeah, well, kind of— Well, the funny—you you got to remember, when we analyze this, this litigation position that we're talking about right now— mm-hmm. I don't know if he's ever won a suit. I think maybe he's won a couple. Right. He doesn't care about the winning of the lawsuit. Right. He cares about the, the fight. Time. 
and yeah. the time. Right. Um, there's this, there's this book, not to plug someone else's book, mm. so read it oh, after right. you, you read my book. Uh, David McCraw, the, the, the deputy general counsel of the New York Times, you know, who had to deal with all these issues, over and over and over again, think about how many times Donald Trump, and this is a good thing, I guess, has threatened to sue someone or threatened to change something. And most of the time he doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. Or he doesn't sue or he doesn't win. Yeah, well, he almost, he almost never wins. Mm-hmm. Almost never wins. Mm-hmm. And he may not win here, but it sort of doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Because showing that you have the power to fight and, you know, having your attack dogs come on television like Rudy Giuliani and others, that's all part of the game. That's all part of the, you know, now he's an actual politician as opposed to a faux politician mm-hmm. who's just looking for good press. Right. Uh, and to maintain and increase his brand. Now he's trying to maintain and increase his power as the president of the United States and maybe leverage that into another term as president. And so... You know, all this is great spectacle. All this is, you know, this this he gets to engage in the rhetoric of victim of victimhood. He gets to have his folks go on television, misstate the law often, mm-hmm. misstate the facts often, but it's good political theater for him. And at the end of the day, he can always resort to saying corrupt judge, corrupt process, right? Hoax. Was, they were doing that uh, yesterday about the Don yeah. Jr. Uh, subpoena. Yeah. Uh, there's always a way to the undermine. Republicans have been corrupted by the Democrats. Yeah. There's always. I was like, what? There, <laughs> huh? <laughs> You, you you cannot but you're win. Always reacting to him. That's you, you 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 cannot win an argument. There was that mm-hmm. who I, I've lost track because there've been so many incidents of hate crime, and you had this person I think who was who was um, engaging in all this violence, and there's speculation. Well, is he a right winger or is he not? And, and then they find. Them. Remember the guy I'm talking about? And he had, Which and they one? found his van, and it was covered with, oh, with all sorts of right wing propaganda. The bomber, bomber right? Yeah. Um, and. And then, See, this you know, is the problem. We can't remember all their names. It, There's so many. I mean, I, you kind of don't want to remember their names, but yeah. you want to remember their acts. And you think, okay, well, there's overabundant proof that he was from this side of right. the ideological spectrum. Right. And he's spewing this kind of, you know, white supremacist mm-hmm. nonsense. Mm-hmm. And then you have people like Rush Limbaugh. The next day, after having said all this crap mm-hmm. about this, you know, predicting who this guy mm-hmm. was, he's clearly going to be a left-wing person, saying, well, you know what? I don't. Maybe those decals were put there by someone else. Yeah. It seems odd. Well, that they have to switch the story. They switch, switch the story. story. So, so, so it's actually like, it's actually like punching the ocean. Right. Yeah. You, you can't actually win. So how does that, as a lawyer, you know, here you are, you've been a prosecutor doing justice. How do you deal with that as a lawyer? I'm sure you've had that happen. Like, well, as a lawyer. You're the guy uh, in the bathrobe who was the mobster. <laughs> like, they, you know, it's not. Yeah, well, so that's the, that's the exact difference that I was talking about earlier with the clowns. In a court of law, that doesn't fly. Mm-hmm. Because you have a judge who's going to say, okay. Mr. Limbaugh, mm-hmm. that's nonsense. Mm-hmm. Move on to your next argument. And you have a decision maker. Right. right? That's that's why all this stuff doesn't work in court. Mm-hmm. Because well, until you infect the courts, but go ahead. Until you infect the courts. Yeah, I guess that's true. But character assassination and lies and, and total irrelevancies, mm-hmm. they don't work in court. And mm-hmm. there's a decision maker at the end of the day. Look, I've often thought to myself that some of these things that, that, uh, that people have said on behalf of Donald Trump— yeah, I've heard defense lawyers make them mm-hmm. for years. That's what I'm assuming, yeah. Right? You know, Donald Trump, people say on behalf of Donald Trump, well, I didn't have to have someone else fire uh, Bob Mueller because I had the ability to fire Bob Mueller, so it doesn't make any sense. In the same way that I've had people say, and people say about Trump also, you know, my, my client's got a billion dollars. Why would he? Why would he cheat? Why would why he get would he insider cheat? trading? I don't yeah. know, but he did. Right, Your right, guy exactly. did. Yeah. They do it all the time. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't know why, you know, multimillionaire actresses sometimes shoplift. Or you know, Winona Ryder shot. I have no idea. Or put their kids through college in a weird yeah. way. You already, yeah. yeah you're already, why are you playing, you know, spending $6 million to, send your, you know, right. to try to get your kid into a school? Right. But they do. Right. And I've seen defense lawyers make these arguments in court unsuccessfully for decades. But why not? But why not in that way? All right. We're here with Preet Bahara. He's this host of Stay Tuned with Preet. He's also the author of a new book called Doing Justice, A Prosecutor's Thoughts on Crime Punishment and the Rule of Law. When we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about where tech is going and where he thinks some of these laws and regulations and also what you do next when this is the situation when everything becomes sort of a giant Twitter stream. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just visible. Switch today at visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see visible.com. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield. So he's scoring big on and off the field. 
You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. We're here with Preet Bahara. He's the host of Stay Tuned with Preet, which is a tremendous podcast. He's also the author of a recent book called Doing Justice, A Prosecutor's Thoughts on Crime, Punishment, and the Rule of Law. He was obviously the former U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. Let's go really quickly through where all these lawsuits are. We, we're, we're, this is not a legal blog and stuff like that, but there, it's been written about so much. There's, there's all kinds of cases in the Southern District. Yeah. How do you look at those? They're just going to march on through. They're not— Yeah, I think so. Even though so, they work for the president technically, right? They work for the citizens of the United States. Yes. That's yes. an important distinction. Yes, it is. The Southern District they of New York— do not work for the president. Is, is, the Department of Justice is supposed to be independent, supposed to be at arm's length, and the most—the the area where they're supposed to be the most independent is on particular enforcement matters. Mm-hmm. I and mean, even on those enforcement matters where they're supposed to be even more, more, you know, more independent to the extent that you can be a superlative of independent— mm-hmm have to be in cases that are politically sensitive right? and cannot be directed by a political officer, whether it's the president or anyone else, who to prosecute, who not to prosecute. And yet I watch Billions, and I know that's not the way it is. Well, that's a little bit fictionalized <laughs> in a lot of ways. Including, you didn't have Jock to deal with? Including the personal life of the United States Attorney <laughs> and his, you know, proclivities. Whatever. It's very— <laughs> I don't judge. I live in San Francisco, Pre. You could do whatever you want. Yeah, I'm just saying. It's not, just, just I'm sure that wasn't not, you. It was the other guy. It was Giuliani. So, um, <laughs> Look, and, and so— they're going to continue to do their work. I don't know. I don't have any inside information, but I hired a lot of those people who were in that office. I don't know what their political affiliations were. You don't look at them. You're not supposed to look at them. It's improper to look at them. And they just go by the facts of the law. Now, when I was the U.S. attorney, we prosecuted Democrats and Republicans. It didn't mm-hmm. matter um, how powerful you were. It didn't matter what your political affiliation was. If you committed a crime and it was in the interest of justice to pursue it and to prosecute you, we did. And I presume they will do the same. You presume they'll do the same. Yeah. I th- I, yeah. Or do you have any worries about that? I really don't. I really right. don't. Look. Is there's it possible? Also, there's also attorney generals, too. Yeah. Is, is it possible that an attorney general on the eve of the Southern District wanting to hand down a particular indictment of someone close to the president, would he reach in, having been briefed about it, and say, no, you cannot do that? You know, I suppose that's a really, really big deal. That's mm-hmm. a really hard thing to pull off. And I think it's a really hard thing to pull off quietly. Mm-hmm. I do. Right. Okay. And then there's also the state's attorney generals who can also yes. pursue. And with respect to those cases, people can't be pardoned. Right. So that's something right. significant as well. And, right. and, this, and the New York State Attorney General um, has been, you know, working on this uh, Trump Foundation case. It's not criminal, but mm-hmm. that shed a lot of light on mm-hmm. how the Trump organization, not Trump organization, uh, the Trump organization, organization, but how the Trump folks, mm-hmm. you know, deal with institutions that they're responsible for and that they manage. Right. Right. So there's all kinds of lawsuits going back and forth. Where do you, again, it takes time. All these things take time. They do take time. Right. So what does that mean then? Look, it means that it, people used to ask me, when do you think Mueller's going to be done? Mm-hmm. Or when do you think the Southern District is going to be done, you know, after they did the, when they're the search of Michael Cohen's uh, apartment and his hotel and his safety deposit box? I said, I don't know. And in some ways, it's important to believe that they don't know. Because mm-hmm. if you know at the outset of a case when you're going to be done, then that suggests that you prejudged it in some way. And I'll just give you an example of a big case. You know, I've never had mm-hmm. a case as big as the President of the United States. But we prosecuted in New York the leader of the New York State Assembly and the leader mm-hmm. of, the, of the New York State Senate, one a Democrat, one a Republican. And I described some of this in the book. You know, there were times during that, the, those two long parallel investigations, separate cases, but they were done in parallel, where the prosecutors would come to my office and I'd say, well, how's it looking? And they're like, you know, I'm, I'm not sure mm-hmm. it's going to amount to anything. And then, you know, a couple of months go by and they follow up on some other leads and they would say, oh my God, we really, I think, are going to have it. Mm-hmm. I think we can, you know, sketch out this scheme um, and I think we can do it very quickly. And then you think, okay, well, it's going to happen soon. And then they come back again and say, well, you know, we're kind of wrong about this. But now we've gotten these other bank records. Mm-hmm. These other bank records don't solve the the question because we see this, you know, yet another set of monies mm-hmm. coming into this other bank account. Now we have to subpoena that stuff. It's just sort of, you know, a, a long-winded way of saying you don't know what the twists and turns are of mm-hmm. the case. You learn that after the fact. Sometimes things can happen very quickly. Sometimes it takes a very, very long time, and sometimes they lead to something, sometimes they don't. How's that for an unsatisfying answer? Uh, it's very unsatisfying. I'll ask you <laughs> one more, and then we're going to get to take this. T- just now, Nancy Pelosi just declared we're in a constitutional crisis. Now, you're not a constitutional lawyer, but it's clear this you know about subpoenas. I do. And, yeah, you know, I don't—look, I, I think that we have been in some kind of crisis mode for a long time. Yeah. You know, that predates— 
the non-responsiveness to subpoenas from Congress when the president takes the word of Vladimir Putin over his law enforcement agencies mm-hmm. and his intel communities. <laughs> that's, a, that's a crisis. Um, when you have the president doing all sorts of things uh, where he denigrates particular judges by name, mm-hmm. where, he, where he says that the the mainstream media, and he's, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's on occasion dropped the sort of caveat of fake news, whatever right. that means. The mainstream media is the enemy, enemy of the people. people yeah. yeah, those are crisis points, I mm-hmm. think, and there are a lot of those. But now you have, a, you know, have a House of Representatives that's led by the opposing party, and they have responsibility to do oversight, and they're not being responded to in the way that they want. We've seen that before. Right. I think this is worse because I think you have a more intransigent president. You have him saying things not like, you know, we're going to take a look and see which things will respond to which things not. The president, at least, has taken, you know, an extreme position, basically saying, like, enough. Mm-hmm. And Mitch McConnell says, case closed. Mm-hmm. And Donald Trump says, you know, essentially, I think he's he's given marching orders to folks to oppose everything. And that's not, that's not right. So why do people follow that? Why are, why are people... Looks like Don McGahn is going to follow that. Looks like Barr is following it. Why yeah, do they well, do that? That's a, that's a good question. I mean, I think Don These McGahn. Yeah, because I think I think Don McGahn is looking at this. He's got to know the end game. I'm sorry. You know, I, I guess you know Don McGahn is taking the position. I'm not going to get into a fight between mom and dad. Mm-hmm. You know, Congress and the White House, and I'm just going to maintain the status quo. It's not a terrible you know, tactical position for him to be in. Mm-hmm. You know, a guy like him wants to be forced to do the thing he's going to do. Mm-hmm. My guess is he, he's probably okay with testifying. I mean, he was okay with talking to Bob Mueller for 30 right. hours. Right. But, you know, people like that don't want to look like they're dying to come testify because it right. doesn't help him, you know, in certain Republican circles, I bet. Uh, so he's just going to sit tight and let other folks work it out. But as we've said, that can take a long time. Same thing with Mueller? I think Mueller's harder to prevent coming to testify because Mueller... Is not a is not a scaredy cat, mm-hmm. and I think Mueller will come. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the question is, what strictures will, will there be on him with respect to classified and information? Can they and actually jury? prevent him from coming? So, you know, in legal battles, it depends on what the status quo is, right? Mm-hmm. So, if you want to get a document from somebody, um, and they have the document, to get the document is difficult because the status quo is you don't have the document. And so, if Don McGahn doesn't want to come testify. You know, it's easier for that to be accomplished because that's the status quo. I, th- I think that the default position for Bob Mueller is to be responsive to a subpoena and come in. So I think that the president and his team will have to, you know, make some argument in court to prevent him from coming to testify. But I, but I think that the likelihood is that Bob Mueller's going to be like, you know, I know what the constraints are. I'm not going to talk about classified information. You know, I did this for two years. Uh, I don't think he's dying to testify. He's not a talkative guy. Yeah. You know, nobody, unless you knew him from before two years ago, knows what his voice sounds like. Mm-hmm. But he's not going to evade. He's not going to skip out. Right. He'll come. Right, right. I think it was difficult because they were hoping for a slam dunk. The Democrats were certainly hoping for more of a slam dunk in order to— although there's plenty there. It seems like there's There's lots. a lot there, but I think that's, this is the irony of sort of expectations and how mm-hmm. political investigations you know, or, or investigations done by— um, you know, by, by people like in Congress are so different from how normal prosecutors do it. One of the interesting things about the whole Mueller report is, that, you know, do the thought experiment that some people have suggested and think to yourself, imagine you didn't know anything in it mm-hmm. until the day it was published. Or imagine even like half of it. Right. Imagine you didn't know about the Trump Tower meeting, even on the collusion conspiracy mm-hmm. stuff. And all of a sudden, one day, there's this report that lays all this out. You'd be like, whoa. Like, holy cow. That's because the drip, drip, drip of social media and And, cable. And the fine reporting. Yeah. The fake news that Donald Trump decried. Right. I think there's an argument that it sort of saved him Mm -hmm. because there's nothing new. Right. And, you know, things like impeachment need momentum. Right. And need oxygen and need new stuff. Now, imagine if if in my office when I was a U.S. attorney that, you know, there had been a drip because somebody had been leaking a defense Mm -hmm. story, had been telling the press about stuff. And so every allegation that we're making about figure X— was kind of known in the press. Right. And on the eve of the indictment, I call my team and I was like, guys, it makes no sense to indict this guy because mm-hmm. the public already knows. Mm-hmm. No, of course not. <laughs> you would yeah, indict. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd proceed to a court of law. Right. It's kind of bizarre right. that we have this problem here, but well, it's because it's a different kind well, of process. But it's also a, it's also been, I do think social media has to do with it. Everyone knew everything. Everyone knew, and it, the, the press, the stories that were amplified by social media and then amplified by cable and then amplify it again on social yeah. the cable. It, it just creates this no, but yeah. nothing. And, and, and the press maybe did its job too well. And people move on. <laughs> people, people move through things. Well, people move on more rapidly than any other time right. that you and I have ever lived. No, absolutely. Move on like crazy. Like, cra- like, like crazy. From morning like, to afternoon. Didn't he kill someone last week? It is. It's like watching a TV well, show. The New York like, Times, 
It's great. Susan Susan Craig is a, is a great reporter, and she's had a couple of big scoops. Mm-hmm. The president taxes. lost a billion dollars. Yeah. Um, the likelihood that anyone is going to be talking about that on Friday. Mm-hmm. I don't is know what day. Yeah, what the day tax story whatever went, day it is. came like, and went. Yeah, it did win the Pulitzer Prize, but it did. Yeah. It, you're right, 100%. Although I'm going to keep it going with like, oh, that tech company lost half a Trump. Or something like that. That's what I'm going to do. So let's finish up talking about the tech companies. Um, where they're going is right now. There's questions of the FTC is going to hold Facebook in in contempt. I guess a version of in contempt or irresponsible for this. Mark Zuckerberg responsible, personally liable for some of the things they're doing. How, when you look at the tech industry, it's ripe for regulation, fines, legal action. Yeah, they have been protected because of Section 230 of the Inter- of the Communications Decency Act. They have immunity. What's next from your perspective? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I, if they I think, hired you, Preet Bahar, I, I would, I would, I would. First of all, I would study up much more than I had than I, than I had for this, yeah. this question. You um, know, there's emails on your on your podcast. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I I worked in the Senate for four and a half years, and there was a lot of discussion about updating mm-hmm. the laws to take into account new technology, both in the law enforcement area to combat the cyber threat, and also in this in this way that you just talked about. And there's not a lot of appetite to do it. A, because there's not a lot of expertise. Mm-hmm. And B, it's kind of like a lose-lose proposition. There are people right. who think on the one hand, you know, privacy is really important. And on the other hand, you know, and maybe this is changing in the last couple of years, but, you know, a few years ago, these were sort of untouchable businesses. Right. Because they were hot, they were cutting edge, they were considered the wave of the future. And to be a person in Congress or somewhere else who said, you know, we need to tie them down whether it's Amazon or anyone else. I know Amazon is a different kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, no, we need, we need to let these platforms live and grow. Right. And the expectation was that these would be great engines for democracy and, right. and communication and freedom and you know, there would know no national boundaries. And if you were an oppressed person in some other country, this was a way right. for you to get, bring democracy and justice to your people in your country. So who's going to tamp that down? And then all of a sudden, you take a nap or you sneeze mm-hmm. and— Oh, they no. have these Democracy huge monopolistic power. Po- right. Yeah, and also, and then the counter to that happened in a way that I think was mm-hmm. maybe predictable to smart people like you, but not predictable to other people, that rather than have this sort of pro-freedom, pro-democracy, pro-good debate result, you have the opposite. You have hate-mongering and toxicity and the shutting down of voices. And the Russians moving in and the Russians to live moving with in. us. And, yeah, and, and corrupting elections and doing all sorts. So— it's like anything else. Yeah. It's like a Twilight Zone episode. You, you right. get this gift that seems so wonderful and perfect yeah. and amazing. Oh, wow. It's like got a lot of bad things going on. So I think you need to have will on the part of people in Congress and an education on the part of people in Congress. But there are more voices speaking out. <laughs> yeah, there, there are. There are. There's Warren. There's a, but there's a lot. There's there a are. lot more. There are. So, I, so among the problems you have is size. Mm-hmm. And um, you and I were talking right before the show about this piece by Chris Hughes, mm-hmm. one of the founders, uh, co-founders of Facebook. Yeah. Look, I think there's an argument to be made. I, I haven't examined the Sherman Act mm-hmm. uh, for, for this purpose. But there's lots of ways. Do you ever imagine any of these companies would be held criminally liable for, if you were a pro, if you were the Senate District Working I don't give advisory okay. judgments. All right. okay. <laughs> committed a crime or not. I'm sort of like Bob Mueller uh, in that way on obstruction. But you, you would take a look at these. Look, it is a very difficult thing mm-hmm. to hold an institution criminally liable. It just, it just is. Mm-hmm. And, and, look, and, and it, it probably is a good thing that it should be difficult. Sure. In the same way it's difficult to hold an individual right. criminally liable because you want the standard to be high. Because you don't want prosecutors to be abusing their power and mm-hmm. saying, like, anybody I want, I can I can throw in jail. Or anybody mm-hmm. I want, I can prosecute. So the standard should be high. And the guidelines for, for prosecuting companies is very high in the Justice Department because, right. you know, you could bring in the economy to a standstill. That doesn't mean they shouldn't be. And it depends on what the facts are. All right. I'm going to finish up. Lastly, law itself being changed by tech. Where do you think that's going? What, what itself? Law itself. The law, legal profession. I don't. Has it been? Yeah, it will be. AI lawyers, Preet. God, that freaks people out. You don't need lawyers for a lot of this. Yeah. It's well, pattern it's, matching. It's, yeah, it's it's all, infor- you could search no, for it. There's so much AI is going to do here. Well, I'll tell you another way in which in which tech has changed the law, and I tried to be a, a pioneer of this in my own office, mm-hmm. is you have so much data. In the old days, you know, lawyers would sit down with boxes and boxes mm-hmm. and boxes of documents, and it was very difficult to figure out the flow of money. It was very difficult mm-hmm. to figure out the flow of communications. The availability of technology to help you sort through enormous mm-hmm. amounts of, and we were one of the first companies that, that paired with a, a tech company in the whole Justice Department mm-hmm. to try to help us understand the data that we had. Yeah, right. and you can do you know massive amount of things. You could figure out in some ways, depending on the data you have, 
have to worry about privacy concerns there too. Surveillance. You, you got to worry about that. I but know you, you people can, you like can, to surveil. Yeah, but you can. <laughs> you can. Uh, some people call it spying. <laughs> the attorney general calls it spying. When it's court authorized, it's not. What spying. a horse's ass he is. I'm, anyway, move along. I'm, I can't even I, look I'm, at him anymore. <laughs> He's just got to leave. It's an interesting thing, though. He. he uh, oh please. He he has hurt his reputation quite. I don't think he had a good one to start with. But in whatever. legal circles, he did. Maybe, maybe those legal circles whatever. are for you crap. You people allow a lot. Um, look, Reporting, it's known as a hack. The person who ahead. was the acting attorney general when Bill Barr was nominated was a guy by the name of Matt Whitaker. Yeah. Who, remember oh, that, that guy? Oh, that guy. Okay, all right. Okay. Sure, he's better. So, you know, That's when like you define like, deviance down, but when like you have someone like that. But like a golden retriever would have been better than Matt Whitaker, but go ahead. All right. Probably really good, actually. No, you've now stumped me. Okay, all right. No, legal. Finish. We have to finish up. Legal. Oh, yes. Yeah, look. Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of ways. To, to, and just like in all, in all sorts of other sectors, mm-hmm. if you had people who weren't doing their job properly and were charging you an arm and a leg to do something mm-hmm. that a computer can do, then yeah. I mean, tax preparers. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking the other day, I was making travel plans. Remember mm-hmm. the old days? Yeah. You called the travel agent. Called the travel agent. And yeah. there were all sorts of fees built in. And that's right. something gone. That no, that totally gone. Oh, no, no. So Le- law is about to see was, some real well, I like to ugly think that you're still AI not going to get like, not, Okay, listen to me. You're not going to get a computer to argue in front of a jury. Yes, mm-hmm. there's lots of things they'll be able to do yeah. and they'll be able to assist. Yes, the creative But justice will law. continue to be done by flesh and blood human beings. Well, no, but police surveillance, a lot of policing is, no, is being done through AR, yeah. which I think has to stop because the data is so dirty. Yeah, I mean, I think I had the a da- conversation. Dirty data, do you know that expression? Dirty data? Dirty data. A lot of Michael policing. Song? <laughs> no, God, we're done Dirty with Diana. Uh, um, we, uh, a lot of the data that police departments use and put into these uh, predictive policing stuff is dirty. I think people have to be very careful about AI. Mm-hmm. Um, these are conversations that are happening at the cutting edge of law enforcement now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have bias built in. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the same time, again, just speaking very, very generally, yeah. you have bias in human beings too. Right. And so it's this constant tension between trying to figure out the way in the law and in justice issues generally, figuring out uh, how to do the right thing that doesn't have bias in it, what's going to have less bias, like mm-hmm. the human beings at the LAPD or you know, this algorithm that you program into your surveillance cameras mm-hmm. um, or, uh, you know, other ways that you, you know, try to sift through all the visas and passports of people who are coming into the country to figure out who's more likely to be mm-hmm. problematic and who's not. Yeah, that can do a service. It can also, um, you know, discriminate against a lot of people. And then we'll get to pre-crime, but that was a Tom Cruise movie. Minority Report. Yeah, that was a good yeah. movie. That's It was. Good flick. I really don't like watching Tom Cruise movies, <laughs> but that one happens to be a fantastic movie. It was in well general. done. It was full of ideas that are now coming into four now. Yeah. The idea of pre-crime. Do you, are you for pre-crime or against it? No, I'm not for pre-crime. <laughs> what, are you, what are you trying to get me? What are you trying to get me? Just a little sci-fi yeah. for but you. I think they're the, weren't there like they had to have three ladies like soaking in milk? Yes, exactly. Now, we last question. That. As the author of Doing Justice, A Prosecutor's Thoughts on Crime, Punishment, and Rule of Law, you like how I put your whole book really in Really good. What is the key thing we have to think about right now in this very disturbing time that we're agitated almost continually from a legal point of view? Is that eventually good triumphs or eventually... It doesn't always. So yeah, look, I think it takes it takes good people to not get inured to all the bad stuff going on, who stand up for the right thing, whether it's journalists or lawyers, or you know directors of the FBI, or regular citizens who call stuff out. Look, you know one of the worst things I think this administration has done was this completely absurd, brazen policy with no exceptions of separating kids from their yeah, parents at the border. And nothing required doing that. And they were lying about it. And they were saying it's not a policy, even though it was a policy. And Jeff Sessions said a lot of terrible things about it. And you know what? It's not fixed. And a lot of these families have not been reunited. But they had to retreat from the policy. You know why? Not just because of lawyers. Because people got really angry about it. And they Mm -hmm. demonstrated about it. uh, And they showed political force. And the president never retreats from anything. Mm -hmm. And this was some retreat. That shows you the power that people can have mm-hmm. to undo bad things that are happening. That, that, to me, is the biggest takeaway. All right. So are you hopeful, non-hopeful? I'm always hopeful. You're always hopeful? Yeah. America's still really great. Mm-hmm. I, I keep quoting from someone I had on my, on my podcast. Um, mm-hmm. He's very intelligent, sounded more intelligent uh, because he had an English accent. All right. Ed Luce. And, and he, I asked him this question. Who is this? Ed Luce. Mm-hmm. And he said uh, that he thinks the, you know, the structures— um, and the institutions in America are very strong. I think the same thing. And I think they've resisted this bad stuff pretty well. But he said, and I think it'll be okay. He said, but I, I reserve the right to reevaluate my opinion if Donald Trump gets reelected. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think is true. That I think one term, 
with all these attacks on institutions and on norms and on democracy and the kind of rhetoric that's being used and the anti-immigrant, I'm an immigrant, proud immigrant, born in India. Mm -hmm. I think you can recover from that much more quickly uh, and fully than you can if America decides to reelect this person. Then you have eight years. And imagine what the second four years is going to look like. Then I'm really worried. All right. Pahar, on that note, thank you so much, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I really me. appreciate it. I really do enjoy you, and you should keep tweeting. You're very good at okay. it, actually. I think you're not silly. I think you do very <laughs> cogent and smart things, although George Conway remains my favorite lawyer person, although I, do, I agree with you, and I don't agree with him, and I like his corkies. You could throw in a few dogs. I think I appreciate it a lot more, if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Kara. Dog cats. Will do. You do cats. He does dogs. I'm allergic to cats. Oh, man. Great. Anyway, thank you for coming on the show, and thanks to you all for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Eric Anderson, is Erica America, and my producer, Eric Johnson, is Hey Hey ESJ. Preet, where can people follow you online? At Preet Barrara. Yeah, at Preet Barrara. And then also, is your show, does it have a... Yeah, you go to you, wherever podcasts are yes, available, applepodcast.com slash Preet. Preet, okay. And you can go to cafe.com slash insider I'm gonna listen to, to get the other one. Okay, cool. If you like this episode, we really appreciate you share it with a friend. And also go to all of Preet's uh, podcasts and various uh, media appearances, yes. Make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Media and Pivot. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Friday. Tune in then. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just visible. Switch today at visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see visible.com.